is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What is good, everybody? Hope you had a wonderful Labor Day long weekend. We are back at it today on this Tuesday afternoon here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Great to have you with us, Andrew Patterson, along with Michael Remus. And we have a packed show. So much to get to coming out of the weekend. The Bombers beat down of the Riders in the annual Labor Day Classic, which leads us to the rematch this Saturday at IG Field, Saturday afternoon, 3 p.m. in the Banjo Bowl. We've got the Red Hot Blue Jays, some incredible performances by Canadians at the U.S. Open. And finally, a little closure to the uh, Jesperi Kokkiniemi saga between the Montreal Canadiens and the Carolina Hurricanes, which became clear over the course of the weekend. Jeff Hamilton's going to join us. Uh, Jeff, of course, was in Regina all weekend covering the Labor Day Classic and the Bombers' big win. We'll bring a hammer on coming up in about 15 minutes on the program. And we are now just two days away from NFL kickoff. I cannot wait. Zig for Cassie from Sirius XM NFL Radio will pop on. We might be able to touch on a little bit of pucks with the Zig as well. But I know a lot of people, everyone is feeling it today. They're team zero and zero. There's a lot of hope no matter who you're cheering for right now. Well, outside of maybe if you're a Houston Texans fan or maybe the Lions. But there's uh, a lot of excitement going into NFL season. And I'll tell you what, Bomber fans that are with us in the chat right now feeling pretty darn good about that big win in Regina on Sunday afternoon. Uh, right off the bat, I want to thank all of our sponsors, including our newest sponsor, Manitoba Battery, our friends over at Little Brown Jug, Royal Sports, Canadian Club, Not Auto Corp, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Boston Pizza, Assiniboia Downs, and of course, Cool Bet Canada, Stay tuned. We do. We've been promising for the last couple of weeks that we were going to have a very special prize for Banjo Bowl week with our friends at Canadian Club. I'll tell you about that a little later on in the program. But what you're going to want to do is pay attention to all of our social channels uh, at Sports Talk Winnipeg on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. You'll have an opportunity to enter there. We're going to take 10 entries from each platform and give away our great prize coming up on Friday's show heading into the Banjo Bowl. And I told you about this last week. Speaking of Friday, really excited to uh, do a first ever sort of live show. Now, while it won't technically be Winnipeg Sports Talk, I think it will serve as somewhat of a WST meetup. Remus is going to be down there with us. Dustin Nielsen is coming in to call the Banjo Bowl. And of course, we got to do a lock shop going into week one of the National Football League. So Dusty's going to join me. Cool bet Chris. Chris Abbott is coming to town for it as well. So Friday night, 7 p.m. with our friends down at Boston Pizza City Place. Pop down, join us, have some wings, pizza, a few cold ones. We'll talk some NFL. We'll bang out a lock shop. And it should be a real fun start to Banjo Bowl weekend. Uh, let's get to it and welcome in Michael Remus to the program. Remo, how was your long weekend, dude? Lovely long weekend. I'm trying to remember what I did. Uh feels like it was a long time ago. Not not long enough, apparently, or too long. Um I went to the beach, got a last, you know, weekend at the beach, went for a bike ride, uh suited up, put on the skate test uh yesterday for the first oh, time. First go? time in like a year. I think I was out of breath after twenty minutes. I had I had enough. Uh I had enough. Uh, but I I toughed it out, and then what else do we get done? You know, watch the watch the football, CFL all weekend Friday, 
And oh yeah, I went to the zoo. One last one last look at the dinosaurs uh, for me at the zoo. So that's that was my weekend. Squeezing just a, a, another game out of the uh, squeezing out another game out of that season pass. Yes, for it. Uh, I'll tell you what that is. Uh, I, I got to tell you, this weekend was amazing. Uh, the game first and foremost was phenomenal. Shout out to all the Bomber fans that were repping the Winnipeg Blue Bombers out in Regina. Uh, unfortunately missed the game this year. Uh, and, and I'm not sure. I'm going to talk to Jeff. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, and for those of you that went, certainly hit us up in the chat um, about the numbers that went to it. I mean, I saw some pictures from Wayne's World, which is usually uh, an absolute madhouse before the game. And I did see some pics and there wasn't, I mean, the crowd was nowhere um, like what it is in normal years. So I'm interested as to whether, you know, just considering the different situations with attendance and vaccination and all that, whether some people decided to opt out. Uh, one thing I do know that I can guarantee is that the Banjo Bowl is going to be bananas. I did see that the uh, Bombers said that there are few tickets left, but there are still tickets available. So would love to see that place fully sold out for the game on Saturday afternoon. And uh, Remo, considering what the Bombers did to the Riders on the weekend, you know, the Bombers fans are going to be going in with a lot of confidence, as should the team be. Uh, but there still will be a lot of green making the trip. And um, the Riders are going to feel like they owe the Bombers one after the way the Bomber defense in particular absolutely dominated for 60 minutes on Sunday. Ooh, what a game. I think we got to reset those MOP um, odds because uh, <laughs> Cody Fajardo definitely did not look like a guy. Uh, I said to you before the show, you know, my brother who's a casual Bomber fan tuning for the game, he's like, man, this Rough Riders quarterback is not good. And I'm like, he's actually leading the MOP race right now. He's like, seriously? And, I mean, that just shows you how how dominant the Bombers' defense are. I mean, you have two of the best pass rushers in the league. Not maybe not probably two of the best in Willie Jefferson, who is an absolute beast. And you talk about free agent signings. Um, I know the Andrew Harris one. Uh, you know, franchise changing, but this Willie Jefferson, oh, I mean, I would not want to block that guy. Jackson Jeffcoat as well, making a name for himself. Adam Bighill, former defensive player of the year. And then you had the secondary, you know, coming up, making the big interceptions, Brandon Alexander, uh, Dietrich Nichols, who's in a rookie season. I mean, he's been excellent for, you know, rookies. So uh, the Bombers defense, watch out. They've, you know, shut down. They had one one off game, but I think maybe they were looking ahead to the Rough Riders, and really, um, you know, that was a statement when, because if you had, you know, maybe the Bombers were knocked off the top of the power rankings for like one week, but I mean, they are clearly the top team in the CFL right now. Shout out to everybody in chat. A lot of comments on the Blue Bomber defense and that performance on the weekend. Um, they were great. Listen, before we get to the defense, though, I do want to talk about a couple things on offense. First of all, Andrew Harris, uh, once again, um, you know, yes. continuing to run the ball. Is there a better running back anywhere of getting yards after contact? Uh, honestly, every single time he got hit, he'd wiggle around and he'd get two or three extra yards. It was, um, and there's an experienced guy that knows what it is about. And he does every single thing he possibly can to uh, max out yardage every time the football's in his hands. And then, of course, he almost had one of the great hurdles in CFL history. Oh, what do you mean? <laughs> almost? That, that was one of the great hurdles. What do you mean? <laughs> well, I, I'm just saying. jump he, over the guy. He, just he ended up going down. <laughs> I, I, he got so high on that. I mean, 
credit to, I think it was yeah. Ganey maybe that made the tackle. I mean, he like that guy's probably six two, and he was fully standing up and just caught a piece of Harris uh, with his shoulder. Uh, it was amazing. But on offense, the thing that stuck out to, stuck out to me the most, Remus, was the bounce back of the receivers. We talked a lot about the drops that had been plaguing the Bomber offense for a couple of weeks, and I first and foremost, you know, we talked about Kenny Lawler who had a couple last week, Rasheed Bailey, but Drew Wolitarski had, a, I mean, he wasn't getting a ton of balls. And when they did, he'd had a couple drops. And all of those players came up with massive catches on contested balls. And I'll tell you what, dude, the catch of Wolitarski completely laying out in the air and catching that pass from Zach Caleros. Now, in some ways, it was a perfect pass because there was absolutely no way it was going to be picked off. But that ball is not caught that often. And Drew Wolitarski, I mean, he stepped up and had a monster game. And while it's obvious we're here focusing on the defense and the defensive performance of the Blue Bombers, the receivers and the receiving group as a unit deserve a lot of credit because they stepped up their game in a big way. And the Bombers really needed it because that was one of the issues that they had in the close game against Calgary going back to the loss against Toronto. Um, you know, Bomber drives were were stalling out because of some slippery fingers. That was not the case. And I just thought from an offensive standpoint, the running game, the offensive line stepped up, but the receiving core really had arguably their best game of the season when they needed it the most. Yeah, and you know, we're watching all week. Is Nick Dembski going to return? You know, what kind of dimension can he add? And there he was on Sunday catching a touchdown pass us, three catches, 41 yards, and a TD. Speaking uh, of perfect passes. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Kenny Lawler, I mean, he can get open deep and pretty much catch anything near him. So, you know, it's it's amazing watching the Bombers' offense operate this season and compared to last season where, you know, last season was very run-heavy. You know, you weren't exactly throwing it deep, a lot of a lot of uh, safe throws. And this year, I mean, Calaris, he can make time, he can scramble, um, he can run if he needs to. He did get, you know, banged up a bit early and um, he managed to return and, and look fine. But, uh, I mean, he can huck it up deep, and these guys can make plays and catch the ball. So, um, you know, th- they signed Roosevelt. I don't know how he's going to fit in after all this. We'll have, Maybe we'll wait and see this week at practice. But, I mean, Dembski came back look good. Lawler's having a breakout season. And Waltarski, Darvin Adams. I mean, there's so many guys. Rasheed Bailey had five targets. They really spread um, the ball around so well. And, of course, Andrew Harris uh, in the backfield. I mean, he can catch and, as you said, run and, and break tackles. And he definitely did that you know, to try to ice out uh, the game at the end. Uh, from a rider's perspective, um, a very frustrating day for Cody Fajardo. And I mean, you mentioned two individuals that we inevitably talk about when the Bombers are playing, um, Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat. Um, the entire line uh, and really defensive core, I thought, played. I mean, Adam Big Hill had an amazing game. Uh, and man, not only did they, you know, minimize the the big plays for Saskatchewan, they made Cody Fajardo pay the price. I mean, a couple of huge hits and credit to Fajardo for staying in that game. I mean, uh, you know, in different circumstances, different quarterbacks, maybe don't make it back in after a couple of the hits that that he took. Um, But they were getting after him. They were getting hands on the football. Even when he was throwing the ball, he didn't have a lot of time to do it and was, you know, doing it from less than ideal situations. And that was a big reason why the Bombers had three picks. And I saw our pal Nick Kowalski raving that, Brandon Alexander might be the best safety in the league right now. He certainly stepped up with a massive game, aided by that pass rush, but two big picks, three in total 
for Cody Fajardo. Not what you would expect in the biggest game of the year at home for the yeah. uh, the favorite for the CFL MOP. Yeah, and you're talking about Cody Fajardo and bad games. How about uh, the end? The icing on the cake hitting the upright crossbar. <laughs> I know it wasn't exactly, you know, to come back and tie. The game was kind of out of reach at that point. But I think it gave, he even said he just had a laugh about it. I think that's the appropriate way to look at it. But, I mean, I know Bombers fans howling that he hit. I mean, how often has the guys hit the crossbar like that? Not too often. And to do that, you know, as we said uh, in the playoffs, uh, last time these two teams faced off, and to do it again, just brought back really good memories. <laughs> did it did it ever i tweeted afterwards i'm like clang for old time's sake just uh yeah, just <laughs> i i really that was the moment of any moment of the entire weekend where i really wished i was in the stadium because yeah. i'm just imagining what the reaction of the bomber fans yeah. after the clang yeah. on the goalpost was considering what happened last year in the west final um huge win for the bombers though i mean they're back on top of the cfl power rankings i'm sure um, and it's very interesting. We're still waiting for cool bet lines. I did see one of the other books open the Bombers as only a two and a half point favorite at home in the Banjo Bowl, which I don't know, seemed very strange considering what we saw on the weekend. The fact that, you know, home teams routinely get two to three points just for being at home. Uh, but again, anything's possible. It is going to be a great, great weekend here in Winnipeg. Looking at the weather right now. Looks like it's going to be sunny in about 21, some perfect September football weather. So if you haven't already made plans to get to the Banjo Bowl, I would suggest you do. Going to be a great, great afternoon of football. Uh, we're going to spend a lot more time on the Bombers coming up with Jeff Hamilton in just a few minutes. We're also going to get ready for NFL kickoff coming up with Zig for Cassie. I will tell you, Remus, uh, with all of the great sports, and we'll touch on the Blue Jays run, and uh, of course what's happening with the National Hockey League and the Kakiniemi moves, but the best thing I saw sporting-wise all weekend was the Bombers right up there, but Leila Annie Fernandez, yes. this Canadian tennis phenom. Friday night, I watched the uh, match against Naomi Osaka, the number three player in the world, down a set and down a break in the second set. This young woman... Uh, as the uh, uh, if you could bottle this sort of energy and sell it, you'd be a billionaire. The way she fought back in that match and won, and completely won the hearts of everybody in that stadium, uh, and then did it again uh, against um, her uh, her German opponent, uh, Angelique Kerber, the 16 seed in the round of 16, and now having just celebrated her 19th birthday yesterday, she'll be front and center today in the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open. And, you know, it was a tough loss last night for Bianca Andreescu and a heck of a match for those of you that stayed up late enough to watch it. Went to like 1.30 in the morning. Uh, Dennis Shapovalov had a rough weekend. Uh, Felix Auger-Aliassime is going to play later on in the quarterfinals. But honestly, to me, the story, if you were focusing on one thing in Canadian sports, uh, you would have been well served to make sure you're watching Leila Andy Fernandez. And she's a big, big underdog again, going up against the fifth seed, Eva Svitolina this afternoon. But I'll tell you what, I mean, there's a lot of been, a lot that's been made of Bianca, Jeannie back in the day, Dennis and Felix in Canadian tennis. I think we've got a new Canadian tennis star in Leila Andy Fernandez, and she is absolutely a rock star right now at the U.S. Open. Yeah, I've been loving the U.S. Open. Friday night was so much fun watching her. And watching Felix, I was up. I was planning on going to bed early last night. I'm like, oh, Bianca is playing. Oh, this is a pretty good match. They keep going to these tie breaks. Next thing I know, it's like one 
30 and the match is over and she really gutted that one out. But Friday night, I watched it with my wife um, and she was in tears after. So happy for her winning. But you're right, the crowd got absolutely behind her. I mean, big upset over Osaka, who after the match said she's going to be taking some time off um, from playing tennis. But I mean, she's such a great personality, uh, Leilani Fernandez. So I'm excited to see how she performs. But tonight and the quarterfinals. So I'm lo- I love the U.S. Open. I mean, these late games. Oh, it's the, the best games at a reasonable the primetime tennis um, that you know means something is incredible. So I have been, and it's it's on all the TSN channels. I've been loving watching the U.S. Open um, this uh, this year so far. I had to, I had to back Layla Annie at the uh, at the window with a little plus two twenty five underdog bet. If it doesn't happen, the enjoyment I've had from her run so far will will pay for that. But um, that match is going to be going this afternoon. We'll be keeping an eye on TSN to let you know how it goes. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast later, definitely check it out. She has been just a phenom, and it's been so much fun to watch. Uh, we'll get to the Blue Jays. We'll get to the hockey story a little bit later on. The Hammer's coming up next. Uh, before we do that, I want to thank our newest sponsor, Manitoba Battery Distributors, over at 1026 Logan for jumping on board with us. They are the battery guys for literally everything. We're getting into car season when it's getting cold, so we'll probably focus on the automotive deals they've got there, but industrial, farm, power sports, quads, sea-dews, sleds, UPS backup supplies, they've got it all. And here's the key thing. Often when you know, oh, I need a battery, you'll head down to a big box store like Costco. Manitoba Battery is going to get you the same battery at a better price, and they'll deliver it to you anywhere in the city. Find out more. Give Donnie and the gang a call at 783-8787. You can find them online at manitobabattery.com. And for September, they've got a special promo right now. And this is great for those of you that are putting some of the toys away for the summer, whether it's a summer car, a boat. Uh, It's a maintainer. 20 bucks for your battery essentially charges it throughout the winter. So when you uh, get it out of the garage and get it ready next spring, you are good to go immediately. Find out more Manitoba Battery. 783-8787 783-8787 or check them out online at manitobabattery.com. Big shout out to our friends at Little Brown Jug. Uh, the limited edition Pride 1919 cans are on sale today. You can get those on the website or you can get them out of the tap room on William Avenue. One dollar from each can is going to Pride Winnipeg and Friends. And they actually have a big Pride patio party coming up at Little Brown Jug on Friday, September 10th, where people can bring donations to the Sunshine House. Uh, We know there'll be plenty of 1919s consumed in and around the Banjo Bowl. So make sure to stock up. You can get home delivery if you want. Go to littlebrownjug.ca and get that set up for the weekend. And uh, Burger Week continues and you can get a dollar off pints in 1919 when you try the Burger Week entries at Seba Waterfront Cafe, Block and Blade Restaurant, The Merchant Kitchen, and Saffron's. And a big shout out to our friends at Royal Sports. There will be plenty of blue and gold coming out of the store, heading into the Banjo Bowl. If you need your bomber gear, Jets gear, NFL gear for kickoff, they've got it all at Royal Sports. And of course, hockey season's here. They are the hockey superstore in the city of Winnipeg for over 35 years. Family owned, one stop for all your sporting needs. It's at Royal Sports, along with King Skate, Snow and Surf at 750 Pemina Highway. All right, it is uh it's hammer time. Back on Winnipeg Sports Talk, Jeff Hamilton back 
safe, sound, and in one piece, allegedly from Regina and the Labor Day Classic weekend. Uh, oh, looking pretty good today. Hammer, no, uh, no worse for the wear. How was the weekend? Living proof you can survive it. Uh, it was great, man. It was awesome. I mean, it was an awesome weekend in Regina. I know that sounds crazy to, to, to say, but it's true. Um, you know, the rest of the week of football games were great. I just think it was a tremendous weekend for, for the CFL and obviously for the Bombers and particularly in Regina where it was just gorgeous. And, uh, you know, for those who are cheering for the blue and gold, it was certainly a a good wrap to an otherwise awesome weekend. Hey, before we get to the game, um, what was it like around there? I mean, you've done this trip beforehand uh, for the free press. I mean, you've covered, you kind of know what it is about. Bombers fans, Ryder fans, partying their asses off all weekend, having a great time. I did, I was mentioning this to Remus. I mean, as someone that has taken part numerous times and not in a work uh, um, part, Capacity, you know, we're always, at, <laughs> yeah, we're, yes, exactly. Not working uh, off the clock. Um, you know, the Wayne's World Party is one of the highlights of everything. I saw a few pictures. It seemed like there were less Bomber fans this year. Was that just uh, the way it looked or um, just with everything going on? Were there, from your perspective, maybe a few less uh, representatives of the uh, Bomber Nation out in Saskatchewan this weekend? Way less. So way less in the sense that usually, you know, we get there on Friday, leave, leave, uh, leave Monday and, and people usually make a weekend out of it. Right. So some people show up Friday, spend a couple nights. Most people get there Saturday, um, kind of take over the city a little bit, if you will. And then obviously Sunday's game. But, you know, of course, with COVID-19 being an issue, not just in the country, but particularly in Saskatchewan, where they, they seem to be uh, lagging, if you will, in the, the vaccination situation. Uh, as many people know, they don't have, I mean, they are getting a rule where you need to prove or you just have to show a, a negative COVID test or be double vaccinated to attend games. But that doesn't kick in for, I think, another week or two. So a lot of Winnipeggers were hesitant to want to share a stadium with a bunch of people potentially who weren't vaccinated. I mean, we saw in the home opener, they had, I think, eight cases, which is probably low. Um, so I don't blame them. As someone who is there for the weekend, certainly feels different than it feels here. It's not in a good way, for sure. But um, so that led to it. I made uh, me and Ted Wyman from the Winnipeg Sun. I did a, a bit of an Instagram story all weekend for those who caught it. And the biggest difference for me was not once did I see someone wearing a Winnipeg uh Blue Bombers jersey whizzing into the fountain downtown where it says, I love Regina. So you knew it was a little <laughs> bit of a pullback as far as like the, the crowd atmosphere. But at the game, I will say this, that the, so didn't see many people, did see some people with Winnipeg gear. I mean, yeah. there were people that showed up on, on you know, a lot of people, I saw some people on Sunday, a bit on Saturday, but at the game, there was a particular section of Winnipeg fans, which I thought was awesome. Um, you could hear the true North call during the, the anthem and you could hear the blue part during the anthem as well. So, you know, there was a presence and I will say this, the Bombers certainly appreciated the players and, and, you know, everybody else in the organization, they, you know, they mentioned it before the game, they can hear them. So to those who did make the trip, you know, good on you for those don't blame you. Those who didn't, I don't blame you, but um, yeah, it was a bit of a different weekend, but at the same time, uh, it was different in a good way for a lot of Bomber fans and that the Bombers actually walked away with two points. So Yeah, well, as someone that has been to 10 Labor Day games and have a lifetime record of one and nine, um, I tell you what, the people that did make the trip were rewarded with one hell of a performance yeah. from the Winnipeg squad. Um, I, I can't really start without talking about this defensive performance. You know, I was going back from, you know, other Labor Day games, certainly the Banjo Bowl, I guess in 2010, the Bombers allowed only two points. But, I mean, against a team that was undefeated, uh, had the uh, odds-on favorite for the MOP, 
a huge statement game from Willie Jefferson, Adam Big Hill, Jeff Coat, Alexander, and the rest of that bomber defense. They came Abs- up huge. Absolutely. Keep going down the line. Mike Jones, Brandon Alexander, you know, like uh, like you had a lot of individual performances, strong performances, but you had an overall collective great effort from the defense. And, you know, anyone who's watched this team this year, this has been the they've been the show stealers in, in you know, all the games, particularly the four the four victories this this year that now have the Bombers at four and one and at the top of the CFL standings. But it was just, you know, it's exactly, you know, they came in there. I don't know if anyone saw Willie's comments, but they were awesome. You know, he came out and said that this team is I kind of couched him a little bit with the whole, like, you know, if they really beat anyone special and he just took the ball and ran with it and said, nope, you know, this is a team that hadn't faced the smoke. And this is a team that, you know, hadn't been tested. And Cody Fajardo was about to get tested. And we certainly saw that. I mean, we saw them dominate, you know, it was obviously a a close game through the first two quarters, eight, seven uh, in favor of Regina or Saskatchewan. So, um, but that second half, I mean, they locked it down. This has been the story of this team kind of all season long is they're a second half team. If you look at the stats, they've allowed six, total points in the fourth quarter and I think 23 total points and again total through those five games in the second half so this is a team that shows up um, you know they played well through those final two quarters and the defense made plays but the you know had the key turnovers force Fajardo to you know to get on the run and he had no options we know that Cody Fajardo doesn't test deep and he didn't or when he did he got picked off and it was just a bad night for for him and the entire team because the Bombers defense took over once again yeah it really did seem like Willie uh, Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat in particular were were dominant and involved right from the get-go. Was that where it started for you, Jeff? Um, because certainly, I mean, even on one of the picks for sure, you know, you get a hand in on the football. I, I mean, we talk so much about controlling the line of scrimmage. We'll get to the Bomber offensive line and what they were able to do offensively as well on a couple of really key drives. Uh, but to me, right from the start, I mean, the guys at the front were hunting Cody Fajardo and they made it uncomfortable for him pretty much every time he went back in the pocket. Well, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, that's, of course, where it started with me, even though that they were down by a point, you know, the defense had only surrendered. They didn't even surrender a touchdown. And for thanks to one of the commenters, I was kind of checking out the scene before. I guess that, that that's two games in a row, including last year's playoff game where they haven't allowed a touchdown. So what, what an impressive feat for, for this defense. Obviously a bit different from la- from 2019 to, to this season, but certainly started with them. And I mean, the reality was, is, you know, I got a bit of flack from some readers. I don't write headlines for my stories, but it said big upset, pull a big upset. And, you know, maybe it wasn't an upset in the truest sense that the Bombers were, you know, some bottom feeders and they came in and they beat some, you know, incredibly talented Saskatchewan team. But you look at the you look at the history at Labor Day Classic. Um, you know it was fourteen losses in the last fifteen games. It didn't matter. And, and if you look through those years, it doesn't matter where the teams are in the standings. There's one year I forget exactly what year it was. I think the Riders were zero and eight or zero and nine come Labor Day, and they won. And, and handedly. So, you know, we know it's a tough environment um, to play in. I mean, the Bombers offense was practicing all week um, uh, with, with sound and whatever. I mean, the defense doesn't ha- have that crazy crowd noise that's affected with them, but Cody Fajardo and the Rough Riders offense was averaging a league best 26.7 points a game. And they didn't even score a touchdown. They got two field goals and two singles. And and so to me, I mean, anyone that watched that game would have looked at that defensive effort and said, you know, and, and probably would have looked at it before the game and said they needed to show up. And um, to do so on a stage like that and to do so um, and 
in the way that they did and, and, and how you know, dominating they were. And I agree with you. It starts with Willie Jefferson. I don't know if he recorded a sack per se. I think he had a tackle for loss, got his hand on a couple of things, but he's just wreaking havoc all game. Um, same thing with Jackson Jeffcoat, as you mentioned, he's, he's blossomed, you know, hopefully he can stay healthy this season and, and really emerge into one of those top, top defensive ends in the, in the, in the league. And um, Adam Big Hills, uh, you know, we were mentioning off camera before I came on here, you know, he's a guy that I think he's returning to his 2018 form where he was, uh, you know, the, the defensive player of the year and uh, battled through injuries a bit through 2019. He's been a monster and has carried that linebackers crew that has seen injuries throughout. And then the secondary, I mean, Dietrich Nichols, I mean, that guy has played to an all-star caliber through five weeks. You know, he's had, you know, they've had, they've been picked apart in some ways, but secondaries get picked apart. There's not a single team that dominates in the secondary. So, um, you know, just all in all, you look at this team and you look at the backbone. Andrew Harris called them that very thing. They're the backbone of this organ of this club. And um, so long as the offense can continue to improve and, and maybe see some, you know, we're going to have to see some better stuff from the special teams. You know, this is a really good club in what's going to be a unique year. And I mean, I know it's early, but the Bombers got to be favorites or, you know, at the very least contenders to, to win again this season. Yeah, well, I'm sure when the Grey Cup odds get recalculated this week, the Bombers will be uh, alone at the top after their performance on the weekend. Offensively, uh, I was impressed with the running game, uh, and I think this gets back to the offensive line, of course. And I'm not sure that they felt that they maybe didn't have their best game last weekend against Calgary, but they certainly knew that they were coming up against a top opponent and needed to establish themselves in that case. And early on, I mean, seven, eight, 12 yards on carries from Andrew Harris really made, you know, kind of gave the, the the plan ahead for the Bombers as to how they would win that football game. And in a tight game in that third quarter, they get the ball on the 23-yard line. Zach Kolaris had some great passes, but once again, the running game, a huge part of, you know, establishing an offensive attack that, you know, you couldn't really focus on one side or the other of the football because of just how well Zach Kolaris was distributing it and how effective Andrew Harris was when he was getting the ball in his mitts. Yeah, I think, you know, starting with the O-line, I think there was, I don't want to say there was feelings that they weren't getting the job done or that they were being underappreciated or, or whatnot. I know they weren't happy, um, you know, with, with what their, you know, what their season had been, despite being, you know, in a good position at three and one heading into the weekend, but certainly exerted their dominance here. I mean, when you look at, when you look at some of the, you know, you look at some of the games across the league, you'll see, you'll see running backs, um, you know, get good yardage. I look at Edmonton, for instance, and I'm not trying to, you know, beat up on their O line, but Wilder's a pretty powerful guy. So, you know, when if he's able to get two, three yards because of the O line, he becomes even more powerful. So um, that's not exactly the case there, but it is in Winnipeg. And I mean, with Andrew Harris, we've seen it for years. Um, you know, he certainly benefited from an O line that pushes the ball, right? It pushes up, and so when you're when you're hitting that line of scrimmage one, two, sometimes three yards ahead, you already got that gain. And we've all we've all, always seen Andrew, you know, if he can hit a gap, good luck to the linebacker. I mean, he'll he'll drop down, he'll, you know, he'll, he can usually either make a miss or he'll or he'll, you know, run straight straight through him. So I think the biggest thing about Andrew's game too, and I wrote about it in my five takeaways in the paper today, was that, you know, we're getting closer to seeing vintage Andrew Harris. And that was, you know, week four game against Calgary was, you know, he got that touchdown early, you know, that helped him with his confidence, but we got closer to seeing what we kind of expect to see from 33 in, in, in Sunday's game. I mean, he ran passionately, you know, he walked, you know, I don't know if you saw it, but he walked across the, the side, the Saskatchewan sidelines, looked over there a handful of times, stuff that he's, he's kind of known to do 
when when he's in when he's in the groove. And as you mentioned, Haas came up big at certain points. I mean, if you look at the second half, the Bombers took two costly penalties, pushed them out of field goal range. They're facing a second and 23. Andrew gets a pass behind the line of scrimmage and scampers 17 yards to salvage three points. And if you if you had a chance to listen to head coach Mike O'Shea after the game, I asked him when he thought the turning point in the game was, and it was that drive in the third quarter that was, I think it was McGuire's second punch-in touchdown. Yeah. Well, Andrew had runs of 20 yards in that and 15 yards in that. So, you know, the, he, he played it, you know, he's not at that level where, you know, um, he wants to be or where, or necessarily what we expect him, but he got pretty damn close in that game. And that's a scary thought for the Bombers. If, if, uh, if, if Andrew Harris can stay healthy and can continue to improve this offense, um, you know, ultimately catch up to what we, what we're seeing from the defense. Jeff Hamilton from the free press with us here on Winnipeg sports talk daily for with us in the YouTube. Great to have you do us a favor. Give us a, the thumbs up. We've got a nice number at 69 right now, but we could always use a few more. Um, Speaking of the offense, I-, I was somewhat critical, and I think fairly, that you know the receivers had, had a couple games where there was just way too many drops, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Caleros did a great job of moving the football around, targeting a number of different guys, and pretty much to a man, they stepped up with uh, you know, grabbing difficult balls, contested balls, and you know, in an example like the Wolitarski grab that we've seen on Sports Center over and over again. Calero's putting the ball in a spot where it could not get picked and having the receivers go and get it. And um, that, to me, from a receiving core group, the best game that they had all season long. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that, too. I mean, think about the last, you know, the narrative after the last two games was, as you mentioned, the drop passes, right? And so, and then at least part of the narrative beyond the defense after Sunday's win was about the catches. Whether you want to talk about Jewel Otarski's, you know, his diving catch, Kenny Lawler came up big. I mean, credit to Darvin Adams for, you know, playing that that play in the end zone hard that led to the, you know, the defensive pass interference, which led to the, the punch-in touchdown from McGuire again. Um, you know, there were some big plays there, but I'll go right back to your you know, earlier point about Zach Clark's. I mean, that guy's a gamer. He'll, you know, he'll, he'll run the play. I mean, I I hate to beat up on, I hate to beat up on Matt Nichols, but like, I mean, could you imagine if they chose Matt? I mean, this loyal organization chose Matt over, over Zach. Like, I mean, it just, we wouldn't be talking the way we're talking right now. And the reality is, is, you know, Nichols would throw the ball away as soon as there was, you know, as soon as he went through his reads, he'd he'd throw the ball away. And, And Zach Clark's will not, let a, a play or a play die until it's dead. And and that includes, you know, extending plays with his feet, evading, um, you know, would-be tacklers. I always look at his stats afterwards and I'm thinking, okay, he must have had like 60, 70 rushing yards, but he has like 27. But it was just because he's been running for 100 yards behind the line of scrimmage. And then, as you mentioned, puts it, the ball in position to get caught. I mean, you're not going to find a smoother pass to uh, then that then the twenty seven yarder to, to Nick Dembski. I mean that was that was Aaron Rodgers esque. You know, like that's that's a catch where only he can catch. It's over his shoulder, and and credit to 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 Nick who who caught that after a frustrating play earlier in the game that led to him not catching a ball. But um, you know, it's just he's the guy that this team needs. He's the future. I think we got a little bit of a scare there when he was limping and missed a play, and nothing against Sean McGuire, but you know he bobbled that one play, and then in came Zach Caleros, and you could you could tell there was a bit of a you know <laughs> feeling of relief there for Bomber fans, and 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 so I mean this guy's just you know all those injuries talks, all the other stuff that 
you know, that kind of went away with the great cup run. I mean, it just continues to get strengthened behind this guy. And, you know, it's going to be awesome to see what he can do for this organization, uh, you know, right now, obviously in the present and, and into the future. You mentioned Dembski because he did have that play earlier that he certainly would want to have back to me. That was pretty much the only, uh, you know, a blemish on the receiving core and, you know, was able to make up for it with that big touchdown later on. I'll say this though, Jeff, I think having Dembski in the lineup completely changes the running game as well. Uh, you know, you saw them do a couple plays in the uh, with Lawler in the Dembski spot running through the backfield because it's part of the offense, but it, they didn't seem like Calgary had to respect it the same way that they do when Dembski's running through there because of how devastating that play and that formation has been before. And once Demke was there and you're keeping an eye on it, it's almost like you have less guys to worry about the front and the guy that's probably getting the ball, Andrew Harris. And that paid big time dividends on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, whether it's just his vers- uh, versatility, like, you know, where he's able to kind of add to that run game, obviously. I mean, you could make the argument that you added another weapon to the receiving game, so you have to respect the receiving game more, right? I mean, those two games when Nick was out, you know, whether it was the drop balls or whatnot, I mean, th- those kill drives too, right? So when, you, when you're maintaining those, you know, you're getting those passes, you're not dropping balls, you're moving the chains, you know, you can then implement a playbook that is a lot wider than those when you constantly are going to and out to be seen in some previous games. Um, you know, Nick is a, you know, I think he's one of those guys that not that we're kind of waiting for him to kind of pop off, but like, I don't know, like he's, he's a guy who's, his name isn't, you know, his name isn't, um, you know, new to the CFL, obviously, but, you know, he's also known to kind of have a hot start and kind of cool down a little bit, but to see him kind of show up again after missing two games, it, it, I don't want to say necessarily it shows a level of maturity we haven't seen because kind of sounds like a dumb comment, but like, you know, he's a guy that's, you know, he's going to play a big role on this offense. He's going to play a big role in this team. He's confident, all those things you want out of receiver. And when you start, when you have all those, those great traits and you actually execute them on the field teams have to watch you so I mean that's that's essentially what Calgary would do for all those years that they were a dynasty they were adding up you know marquee player after marquee player after marquee player and it gets to a point where you know you can't really you know plan around one or two guys you kind of have to you kind of have to plan around the whole thing and I think maybe we're seeing that with the Bombers and particularly when you add a guy like Nick Dembski who was in the line at the last two games to the group it's just going to add to that planning and and again you know when it pays off He's going to have more attention next week. We'll open up other, other room for other guys. Amber, what do you think the special teams meeting is going to be like uh, this week? Uh, you know, I think both offensively and defensively, there were so many good things. I think we're generally positive about that. Um, you know, you've got a young kicker that has had some ups and downs so far this season. Uh, but to me, I think, you know, they're missing Janarian Grant in the return game right now. Uh, and I would imagine if there's anything the coaching staff might nitpick, it uh, might be on some kick coverage from yesterday's game, from Sunday's game. Yeah, you know, like it's 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 kind of a, it's kind of interesting that you know the the area of a team that's kind of in question right now is special teams for a team that's coached by Mike O'Shea, who you know has put a lot of you know put a lot of respect, has a ton of respect for it, and all those things. Obviously, the absence of Justin Medlock, as we've talked that you know on this show and others. Um, is an issue. You know, Mark Leggio has been okay at times. He obviously played well against Calgary, was able to hit that clutch shot in the last, you know, moments of the game and whatnot. But um, I keep thinking coming down to like when, when it's the playoffs, right? Like when it's the playoffs and it's razor thin and everything's on the line, not just from a kicking perspective, but field position as well. And I mean, look, Mark Leggio could be the future. I just don't think he's the present when it comes to kicking field goals. And when you're a team trying to go back to back, you got to get your 
kicking game down. I mean, Justin Medlock was the bread and butter of this team. He allowed you to get to midfield and still leave with three points. That's not the case here. It's not even close to being the case. And Tyler Capena is not the answer. Um, they have an American kicker coming in, Ali Mutara, Darda or whatever. I should have that name down, but I haven't seen him, haven't talked to him. He's been, you know, I think he'll he'll kind of be on the team this week. He'll probably make a push to to be the kicker for for uh, week six and the rematch of the Banjo Bowl. We'll see about that. But, you know, those are things that you need to address. It's great that you're four and one, um, but you need to address the special teams and the kick game. Like, I mean, are you waiting for Janarian Grant? I mean, I'm not trying to beat up on, you know, um, Charles Nelson here, but the guy's been on the team for parts of three seasons. And when he gets the ball in his hands, doesn't really do anything. And I mean, to be fair, he didn't get a kickoff return. So, you know, there's that. But when you look around the league, I mean, it's such a huge, important part of the game to get good field position, as we saw with Saskatchewan, as you mentioned, kind of the, the, the coverage there. I mean, it was questionable at times. And the defense came up big. Imagine you have, so you have everything working for you from the Blue Bombers perspective, except for those areas. And it feels like those are areas that you can address. And then, you know, whether that will change this week, I don't know. You know, we'll see what happens with the tape and whatnot. But um, you just have to think that as the season goes on and the games become more important, in particular when we head into playoffs, um, those things need to be locked down. And just what we've seen through five weeks, they aren't. So, uh, Hammer, let's look ahead to Saturday afternoon. 3 p.m. should be a uh, wild scene at IG Field. Hopefully a full house, lots of blue, bit of green in the stands. Uh, what do you expect to see next weekend? I expect to see a um, a bit of an answer from Saskatchewan. You know, they're a proud team. You know, they're a team that, you know, they care about, you know, they're a good team too, even though the Bombers did lay the boots to them there in the second half. They're, you know, they, I think they're, they understand, um, that they're in a position to, to to fight for top spot and you never want to lose two games in a row and you never want to lose to your rivalry. So I'm expecting a better effort from, uh, from Saskatchewan for sure. But I also think the Bombers ride the momentum. I mean, I, I, I talked about this prior to, you know, prior to the game and, and, uh, and asked questions about it afterwards. The, the demeanor of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers heading into week five was much different than what I'd seen in the previous week. So it's not to say that the, you know, the attitude or whatever was, was, bad in the first few weeks and then better this past week it just it, it reminded me a lot of what i saw in 2019 great cup um you know where it was all business a lot of you no know, not a, a bunch of you know crazy quotes obviously willie went off a little bit there the day before which was great but a lot of you know business you know just straight business approach very just determined and even after the game it was like you know we didn't send anyone a message we'll we'll let you know we'll let you know when we send a message after we we sweep this home and home series. So the focus for the Bombers has been and and uh, will continue to be these two games rather than that last one. So I'm you know I I think the Bombers are the obvious favorites. I think you mentioned they were at I think minus two and a half. That's that's probably disrespectful for, compared to what we saw last week. But um, at the same time, you know it's it's always a battle between these two teams and you know and and two sides that have two very you know good good group of coaches and they're going to uh, they're going to come at it. So I'm expecting in a hard physical game I don't know if any you know for those who watched it I mean that was probably the most physical game all oh. season um you know lots of trash talk in there too a little bit but just a hard physical violent game so I'm expecting the rematch to just kind of maybe even potentially take another level so you know buckle up should be a good time can't wait I imagine uh, you'll be uh, getting us ready all week in the pages of the Winnipeg Free Press yeah, well, I got a couple days off here, but I'll be back at it on uh, Thursday or Friday getting ready to uh, tee up that game. So stay tuned. And uh, yeah, like I said, should be a classic. Hammer, great stuff. Thanks for doing this. Uh, impressed that you look as good as you do after the meat grinder that is Labor Day weekend in Regina. But uh, you're a professional, pal. Keep up the great work.
you know how it is early bedtimes just get those get the words in thanks, oh guys. yeah for hey, sure. thanks for having me on it's always a pleasure and shout out to the comments you know you guys are the ones that drive this so right on we'll do it again soon pal thanks so much there he is jeff hamilton at jeff k hamilton on twitter um some great stuff coming out of the weekend you read his column at the winnipeg free press and we'll get ready for the banjo bowl all right we're going to talk some nfl in just a sec but before we do uh i told you that we were going to do something special for Banjo Bowl Week and our friends at Canadian Club, our sponsors in the official spirit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are back. And we've had some great I Love Rye packages, but this one, folks, we're going to the top shelf this week for our Bomber Canadian Club giveaway. You see this, folks? This is the special edition Canadian Club Chronicles 40 two-year-old whiskey check out this beauty look at this look at the beautiful packaging look at this we'll pop this sucker out it's art wouldn't even want it want to drink it but we could this i believe this bottle is pushing about three bills folks but one of our lucky listeners and followers is going to win this on friday on the program how you may ask well what you need to do is follow our socials at Sports Talk WPG on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We'll have a post on each format. Uh, you retweet. Make sure you're following us on the YouTube channel or subscribing to the YouTube channel. Uh, we'll pick 10 people from each Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll put them in for a very special Banjo Bull Marble Race for the Canadian Club 12-Year Chronicles coming up on Friday. So there you have it. We'll post these after the show today. We'll pick our winners, uh, well, the contestants, shall we say, Thursday night. And then on Friday, we'll uh, fire up the marbles again at the end of the program and get somebody this incredible Canadian Club Chronicles 42-year-old whiskey as part of our package for the Banjo Bowl. Uh, big shout-out to our friends at Not Auto Corp. Actually, Chris Abbott, Cool Bet Chris, and I are going to be going with the Not Gang to the game on Saturday. Going to be great. Trevor and Not Auto Corp, great supporters of the Bombers for a long time. And uh, helping a lot of people get into great vehicles over at Not Auto Corp. If you're thinking about an upgrade or a new whip before you do anything, go see the experts at Not. Why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Not team? See them at Waverly and McGillivray, or you can see them online at Not.ca. And uh, we may have to get DQ Nick on the program at some point this week because he is doing an absolutely incredible job of trying just about every burger in Burger Week. Uh, I personally love his burger, the ultimate grill burger over at Dairy Queen. We know when we're talking DQ, we're talking ice cream, all the great blizzard flavors. It sort of is what summer is all about. Uh, But as we get into the fall, they're going 12 months a year. And of course, you can also get those great DQ cakes. Follow them on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. Fire them a note. They'll get you set up and you can just pop by and pick up at any of the four Nick and Nicky DQs, DQ Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, or the DQ over on St. Anne's. All right. We are two days away from NFL kickoff. Did my final fantasy draft last night and I am ready to go. And few people we enjoy talking more about anything to do with the National Football League than Zig for Cassie. But with two days away from the Buccaneers defending their Super Bowl championship in prime time against the Cowboys, we thought this was a perfect time to bring Zig in. What's going on, Zig? Great to have you on the program again. Andrew, good to be with you, my friend, in that Canadian club. Um, I'll salute to that. 
<laughs> Absolutely. A little far away for me to pour you one, but uh, next time you're in Winnipeg, we'll definitely have a few CCs for you, Zig. Hey, Absolutely. before we get to the NFL, did you catch any of the uh, big Labor Day weekend in the Canadian Football League? I know you pay attention to the uh, what's going on in the three-down game north of the border when you can. Yeah, I, I did. I saw a little bit of the uh, Toronto-Hamilton game, and I love the back and forth between you know the Ticats and the... Um, you know, the Argos on Twitter and all that. Well, they hadn't won, uh, you know, Toronto hadn't won, and then Toronto argues back, well, you haven't won a Grey Cup since whenever it was. So I thought that was great. And then uh, Edmonton, I thought, looked very, very good against Calgary yesterday. So I did catch a little bit of the games on Labor Day. Yes, well, uh, the Bombers thumped their rivals to the West, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And we've got a rematch here in the Banjo Bowl coming up on Saturday. And to me, this might be from a football fan here in Winnipeg that loves the Canadian Football League and loves the NFL. This might be one of my favorite weeks of the year, Zig. We've got the opening game on Thursday. We've got a big game here in Winnipeg on Saturday with the Banjo Bowl. And then the first full slate of games in a 17-game season right now. The wait is over, and we're good to go. Let me start off with the champs. They deserve it. They're hosting the game on Thursday night. Tampa Bay's bringing back all 22 starters from that Super Bowl team. I mean, that's pretty much unheard of. Um, are the Bucks the team to beat going into the season, Zig? I don't know why they shouldn't be. Like you just mentioned, everybody's back. And obviously, as long as number 12 has his insatiable hunger to continue to succeed, I, I don't know why they wouldn't be considered the favorite. Now, of course, a lot went uh, well for them last year. Uh, obviously, they had relatively good health. Uh, they did close the season with four straight wins against you know, not exactly the 70s Cowboys or Steelers. So they had a kind of a weak schedule. But when it mattered most, Andrew, they got hot. They won those. How about that? They won the three road games to get a true home game in the Super Bowl. That's the first time that's ever happened. So, uh, again, though, with teams that are trying to repeat, which ironically was the last time uh, Brady's Patriots teams did in the early 2000s, they were the last ones to repeat. Do they have health going their way? A lot of people singing Kumbaya right now, but, you know, are they at some point when things start to go a little bad, if they do, you know, they're going to pull apart. So those are things I think that you would say for any defending champion to watch over. So that'll be interesting. But again, and that, at least in that division, you know, New Orleans, I think a touch weaker Atlanta and Carolina still on the rebuild. So from anything, they should be able to dominate that division. Again, we'll see over time whether they're able to continue to play well in the NFC. Well, Zig, let's stay in the South for a minute. Uh, you mentioned the New Orleans Saints. Um, you know, a huge changing of the guard with Drew Brees, their Hall of Fame quarterback, uh, retiring at the end of last season. And Jameis Winston is going to be the guy. And, you know, if, if this turns out well for Jameis, I think taking a $2 million season to learn and play behind Drew Brees last year will be one of the more brilliant contractual moves we've seen in NFL history Obviously, remains to be seen if he can do that. But I'll tell you what, Sean Payton, with the amount of turnover, not having Breeze, Michael Thomas injured for the first six weeks, and now the challenges of moving their home opener to Jacksonville, um, they're dealing with a lot going into this week one, aren't they? Well, yeah. I mean, we talked about this on our show over the weekend. Uh, You know, the fact that they had to relocate everybody from New Orleans to Dallas in such a short period of time. And think about this too, Andrew. This was just before the final cuts. 
So can you imagine bringing, you know, 30 extra guys with you and then just telling them, oh, by the way, you're not going to be able to play for the Saints this year. So very interesting dynamic. But I think, as usual, uh, the Saints organization with Mickey Loomis, Mrs. Benson, uh, handled that extreme, extremely well. Now, I guess what I saw a weather forecast that maybe some uh, inclement weather, let's call it, maybe hitting the Jacksonville area this weekend. So that's something to worth watch. But to the Saints themselves, don't forget too, uh, Onyamata, the outstanding defensive tackle, he was suspended too, Andrew, so they're not going to have him. Uh, you still have the issue there about uh, Marshawn Lattimore, the starting corner, whether he's going to be able to play at least long term because of the uh, incident apparently that happened in his hometown in Cleveland over the summer. And then you mentioned obviously about Jameis Winston. And I got to tell you something. I've been impressed with that young man. I remember I got went down to their training camp, the Bucks training camp, the first year he was in the league. And even then, you know, there was this perception, you know, he had his issues at Florida State and all this and that, but he was always so polite and understanding. I think now relegating himself to sit behind a Hall of Famer and, you know, humbling yourself to do that, Andrew, I say I think that says a lot about him. For the first time in his career, he was in a situation where he didn't have to be the man, didn't have to be the franchise quarterback. So I think that and a work on mechanics, if you saw him play throughout the preseason, that ball got out there like a howitzer and there was no hitch in the delivery. And I'm one of these guys that's really big when you watch the quarterback step and throw and eliminate the hitch. Because if you do that, then that ball gets to that receiver a lot quicker and his attitude, very, very good. I'm hoping, like heck, Jameis Winston has a whole lot of successes this year. And I'm not sure it was really a true quarterback competition there because I, I don't see Taysom Hill being this, you know, three-down quarterback. He's more of a gadget guy. But anyway, they said it was a competition. I hope Jameis Winston does well this year in New Orleans. Uh, just before we leave the division, won't spend too much on Atlanta. Uh, I mean, I think they're sort of a work in progress. Exciting to see what Agreed. Kyle Pitts can do as the number four overall pick. What about the Panthers, though? I mean, this is a team that I think they've got some real playmakers on defense. Uh, you know, they've got Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson. They have guys that can make things happen, but the quarterback position has been a big question, and Enter Sam Darnold for Act Two of his of his career. I mean, he's still a very very young quarterback. Zig, um, you know, Matt Rule, the former Baylor coach, I think is a pretty brilliant offensive mind. Uh, is this a perfect spot for Sam Darnold to sort of reinvigorate his career that sort of went south under Adam Gase in New York? Yeah, I would say so because let's face it. I mean, Charlotte's a fine city, a wonderful city, but it doesn't have sort of the blowtorch mentality that you play in the New York area. And obviously there were a lot of things I thought that uh, went against Sam, at least this past year, the offensive line sans Mackay Becton wasn't very good. They really didn't have a whole lot of targets to throw to either, but at times Sam does tend to get the happy feet, get sloppy with the mechanics. Again, I'm big on that. So I think now was the time for him to move on. And like you mentioned, Robbie Anderson, a guy he worked with, with the jets. And I think, you know, obviously McCaffrey, if he's healthy, you know, they've got a chance to do some good things and uh, maybe takes a little pressure off McCaffrey there uh, in the backfield too. I think their defense is definitely on the ascend Matt rule building this program like you would as a college program. And that's where I think David Tepper, the owner 
had the foresight to give Matt Rule the long-term contract, which basically says, we're in this for the long term. You're going to do what you need to do to develop the program, so to speak. So uh, I don't know if I see Carolina contending for the Super Bowl this year, but if Darnold's semblance of better uh, of what they've gotten at the quarterback position, and like I mentioned with that defense coming around, I, I could see them hovering at around 500, clear mark of progress this year. And they were actually playing pretty good before all the injuries happened last year. Zeke for Cassie of Sirius XM NFL Radio getting us ready for NFL kickoff Thursday night. It's the Cowboys and the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers. Speaking of the Cowboys, um, they had a rough season last year and it all sort of you know fell apart when Dak Prescott got hurt. Offensively, they have weapons that can hang with everybody else in the league. Uh, is their defense good enough and can they be the team that wins that NFC East or Will Ron Rivera's Washington football team ride that defense to a division title? You know, the way the cow it went last year, in spite of all the injuries and a clearly god-awful defense, they were in the final game, Andrew. They could have won the NFC least last year. That's how frightening that that is, if you're thinking about it from that perspective. Now, having said that, Dak, obviously, the shoulder was a big concern throughout the offseason, but apparently the last few days he's been flinging it with no problem. We had Calvin Watkins on my show the other day from the Dallas Morning News. He said from what he saw, Dak was throwing the ball 30, 40 yards in the air with a lot of zip. So if you're a Cowboys fan, you got to be encouraged by that. You also got to be encouraged the fact that the O-line is relatively healthy, although Zach Martin, the outstanding guard, is going to miss the uh, opener because of COVID-19, even though he's fully vaccinated because you he doesn't have enough time from the five-day turnaround uh, to be able to play. Uh, so th- that's a concern. But they've got the skilled people, and I think Ezekiel Elliott's in really good shape, maybe the best shape of his career, and I think he wants to atone from last year. I think what happened with him was once Dak went down, he tried to do too much. That's where the fumbles started. That's where some of the breakdowns started. So I think he's refocused. But as you mentioned, Andrew, the key is going to be this defense. And anything, even an iota of better play from that side, uh, portends well for them. Micah Parsons is a game breaker. This kid can he he plays, he can play end, he can drop into coverage. In fact, I was reading Michael Gelkin's piece in the Dallas Morning News today. He hearkens him to a chess player. He, he plans moves ahead of time. The guy's very cerebral, and it's a lot of pressure to be putting on a young man, 11th overall pick at that age. But if he's the game breaker that they have, the Cowboys' defense will be markedly better. They, they obviously drafted the first six guys of their draft last year to play the defensive side of the ball. Uh, if they get any semblance of a pass rush, uh, Gallimore is going to miss the first couple of games. That that hurts them in in terms of the interior defense. But they've also added Keanu Neal, Malik Hooker, a couple of accomplished former first-round picks who've been injured, but they give leadership and direction. If they're any better than all, I think they win the East. You mentioned Washington. Tell you what, I think they've got a playoff-caliber defense, especially with that front four. They're overall solid, Andrew. But to me... It's still it's going to be the quarterback spot. And Ryan Fitzpatrick's been this great story throughout the years. But at some point, 
he's going to have a game where he throws three or four interceptions and people are going to start clamoring for Taylor Heineke, who played very well in that wild card playoff game against Tampa last year. So Giants are still a little bit of a piece of work. How much uh, is Barkley going to be ready to go full bore for the opener? Philadelphia looks like a pretty much a complete rebuild job. So to me, it's probably Dallas and Washington for the NFC East this year. Zig, what are you? Uh, what's the word on the Vikings? Uh, unfortunately, for many of us watching the Vikings, the biggest story out of training camp has been COVID and players not faxed and frustrated yeah. head coach. Um, still a lot of talent in that club, though. But uh, needless to say, with Aaron Rodgers back, Green Bay still uh, re- is setting the bar in the NFC North. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you know, Cousins has made his bones known, if you will, about the vaccine, and that that still remains a controversial point with the Vikings. Obviously they totally redid their defense last year, massive departures from the prior year. So you're hoping that they're able to tighten things up on that side of the ball. Uh, To me, Dalvin cook's got to be the guy. If he stays healthy, then I think they stand a puncher's chance and they don't, they can't have a drop off from Justin Jefferson because he was so outstanding last year. But just in terms of that division, you know, you got the Rogers dynamic, this whole, fiasco that was in the offseason I'm getting the sense Andrew that it's one of those they win the Super Bowl or not and that Aaron's out the door after this year I honestly believe that I I don't know if they're if that rift with uh, Brian Gutenkus the GM can be totally fixed it wouldn't shock me if Aaron Rodgers if he plays next year would be in a new on a new team that wouldn't shock me at all but in that division, again, Detroit's in a rebuild, new coach, new quarterback, new GM. Uh, Chicago, you know, do they go with Dalton long-term or is Fields going to get in there this year? To me, it's the Packers' division to lose. All right, Zig, let's uh, hit the uh, AFC. Um, I'll ask you about the Chiefs and the top contenders in a minute, but when we were speaking about Tom Brady, of course, maybe the biggest story of the last couple of weeks from the other side of the league has been Cam Newton getting cut in New England and Mac Jones yeah. getting the keys to the ride. Um, is he ready to do it? And what are your thoughts on the Patriots getting back to playoff contention with a rookie QB? I think it's entirely possible. They spent a boatload of money on free agency in terms of receivers, in terms of tight ends. You got Dante Hightower, who's the unquestioned leader of that defense, along with Devin McCourty. Hightower coming back from... Uh, the COVID hiatus. Um, You know, I I think of the old Parcells line, Andrew, in terms of let's hold off on the anointing oils because everything that you're hearing out of Foxborough is that, you know, Mac Jones is the next Tom Brady. He's this, he's that. He may very well be. Cerebral kid, national champion, played at Bama, obviously coached by Saban. Saban and Belichick are very close friends. We, we, we get all the dynamic, but let, let's let the guy play a couple of games first. Although it was interesting to hear, it was Rob Ninkovich, the former Patriots linebacker, made the comment that it was Mac Jones helping Cam Newton with the playbook. Now, I'm thinking, my gosh, here's a guy who's been you know an MVP in this league, 10-year veteran, Cam should be helping Mac with the playbook, but apparently it was the other way turned around. So, you know, Belichick took the high road and saying, hey, Cam gave us all that he did. But I think in the end, maybe the COVID thing with Cam, a little bit of a distraction. Of course, you're never going to hear that from Belichick, but I think in the end, 
Uh, Mac Jones has the demeanor and the look of a guy that could somewhat be Brady-esque. But let's let him play a few games first. Although, make no mistake, they were competitive in a lot of games last year. Cam doesn't lay the ball down late in the game at Buffalo. They win that one. They gas pipe a game in Seattle, a game that they should have had. You add those couple wins, they could have been in the playoffs. I think with the ads in the free agency, and again with uh, you know Mac Jones being on board and knowing the system, I think the Patriots will be knocking at that door again. Are they better than Buffalo? I'm not sure about that, but don't be shocked if the Patriots do at least get a wild card spot. You know, you got a rookie QB in New England. You got a rookie QB with Zach Wilson with the Jets. And then there's Tua in Miami. And I think if you remove the quarterback, you could make an argument that, you know, the Dolphins personnel wise can hang with the rest of the division. How much pressure is going to be on Tua going into this season to get the job done for Brian Flores? I think there's a fair amount, but I would also say this they've also, you know, added a lot of personnel that would uh, aid Tua in terms of, helping his development. You know, a lot of people thought that the way Flores handled that quarterback situation wasn't very good. I'm one of the few that actually loves what he did. What he did last year was get that top pick. I I, I liken this, Andrew, to a swimming lesson. You know, you're going to start out in the shallow end a little bit, okay? And then once you think that that person's mastered the shallow end, maybe you start going a little bit towards the middle part. And then if that happens, at least let them try to swim in the deep end. So I would say akin to that, Tua wound up making it to the middle part of the pool. Now this year, he's going to have to be able to swim, if you will, to make that uh, step up, a step up next. They did win 10 games. You know, they resolved the Xavier Howard contract situation. I think their defense is very good. Running game still a little suspect, mine, uh, even though Gaskin's back there. But from what I've read in that, Tua's been able to get the ball out a lot quicker. He's more of into a rhythm. That I think the Dolphins catered to him in terms of adjusting that offense. Uh, Tua's never going to have the rocket arm, but you could succeed and be and not have to throw the ball 50 yards in the air all the time. I'm encouraged. I, I love his demeanor. I love his faith. Uh, hopefully that translates into success for the Miami Dolphins. Zig for Cassie of Sirius XM NFL Radio with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk, getting ready for NFL kickoff in week one this week. Zig, last one for you. Uh, the Chiefs are back-to-back AFC champs. They're smarting uh, over what happened in the Super Bowl. They rebuilt the offensive line. They are, once again, the favorite to win the AFC. Who are the teams that you think will be the biggest challenge to Andy Reid's squad in uh, making it three AFC titles in a row? Yeah, just a quick thought on on that observation, Andrew. Yeah, in fact, the whole left side and the center are, are going to be brand new. So let's see how they assimilate uh, really quick. And, and glad to have the doctor back too, LDT, uh, Laurent Duvenet-Tardif. Um, contenders, obviously, Buffalo is right there. Uh, the way that they've built that organization, I think they're ready to take that next step. But to do that, you've got to beat said Kansas City, who's still the the big dogs on the block. I think you're going to find out the opening week what the Cleveland Browns have. They go back to Kansas City. Remember last year, Browns gave them a scare after Mahomes went out in that playoff game. They were a couple of plays away from knocking the Chiefs off in that game. So I think Cleveland, if OBJ buys into the offense, 
Uh, and obviously, if Clowney can complement uh, Miles Garrett on the other side, I think Cleveland presents some big time issues. And then in the South, mm, if the Colts get anything semblance of quarterback play from Carson Wentz, I like their defense. I think they could be uh, a factor. Tennessee has got to tighten things up defensively. And then out West, yeah, that's still the Chiefs' domain. Raiders uh, Ra- Raiders, and the other two teams, I think, are a ways away. So to me, it'd probably be Buffalo and Cleveland. Although I want to say Pittsburgh. Never want to count Roethlisberger out, but a new offensive line, new philosophy, and this T.J. Watt drama with the contract. Uh, I'm not sure I'd quite put them quite in that contender status. But so probably Buffalo and Cleveland, I think, would challenge Kansas City. Zig, it is a pleasure having you on the program. I cannot wait to uh, fill our lineups, make a few bets on the weekend, and uh, get things going with another season of NFL football. Much appreciated. We'll do this again soon, and uh, you be well, my friend. Thank you, Andrew. Always good to be with you and yours. Good stuff. There he is, Zig Fricassi. Follow him on Twitter, at Zig Fricassi, and check out all of Zig's great work on Sirius XM NFL Radio. All right, uh, we've got to talk some off-season hockey. We'll tell you about the tennis. I can tell you right now that our uh, Canadian, the lone Canadian woman remaining in the draw, Leila Annie Fernandez, is on court right now. The game's on, I think we're watching on TSN 3 here. Uh, She's up 2-1 in the first set. We'll keep an eye on this match throughout the afternoon here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Burger Week continues. And, um, well, we may have to get one of the, a couple of these burgers in us before we head down to Boston Pizza City Place on Friday night. I'll tell you about that in a second. But there are three Burger Week options at three different Boston pizzas right now for the remainder of the week. The Seasburger, which is the ultimate kitchen and bar collab, Boston Pizza's signature Caesar cocktail meets a burger. That one is available at BP Keniston. I, I got to get into this one. The jalapeno mac and cheeseburger is at Boston Pizza Taylor. Comfort food with a kick. And uh, that one has uh, got prosciutto on it, uh, lettuce, tomato, onions, topped with a jalapeno and bacon spiked mac and cheese on a garlic buttered brioche bun. Man, that sounds amazing. And the bourbon barbecue bacon burger finished with a cool ranch drizzle available at Boston Pizza Henderson. So get into your favorite burger at any of those three Boston pizzas. And don't forget a little Winnipeg Sports Talk lock shop meetup Friday night with our old friends at Boston Pizza City Place. Dustin Nielsen's in town for the Banjo Bowl. Chris Abbott's coming in for it. We'll get the gang together. We'll do a live taping of the lock shop for NFL Week 1 over at Boston Pizza. Come on down, join us, have some pizza, wings, a few cold ones, and get ready for all the Banjo Bowl festivities the next day. And, of course, we've got a couple weeks left of live racing at Assiniboia Downs. They go to the post tonight at 7.30. ASD Live, 6.45 with Kirk and Stretch, filling you in on everything that you need to know. Far better than our picks which we will get to a little later on in the program. Michael Remus and I, don't forget, VLT's opening once again, 9 till 12.15, and the Terrace Dining Room is open as well, but you do need to have reservations based on the current public health order. You can find out all the information at asdowns.com tonight and tomorrow, and then one more week of live racing next week. Make a point of getting out to the track. going to be beautiful weather this week. Great time to uh, take in the live racing 
before the season is over. And as always, you can bet from your home on hpibet.com. We'll make our hpibet.com picks a little bit later in the program. We'll also get to our cool bet lines a little bit later on. Let's get Michael Remus back in here as we continue the program. Great stuff with our guests today, Jeff Hamilton and Zig Fricassi. This is a great time for football fans, Reem, especially if you're a Bomber fan coming off that big win on Sunday, excited for the Banjo Bowl, maybe going out a little late and then being horizontal for 11 hours of NFL football for week one on Sunday. Oh, yeah, I'm starting to get fired up. Uh, I got to make my... Starting to get ready for uh, NFL DraftKings. You're talking about Mac Jones, 4,400 this week on DraftKings. I saw you pop that into the chat. I'm yeah, like, that's what? that's something to think about for sure. Um, and yeah, CFL. So this is a great, uh, great time of year. Um, it was funny talking with Jeff. One thing we we didn't mention um, about the game: Willie Jefferson on TV at the end. What he made yes. some kid take his shirt off. They take his off his rider jersey and then gave him his gloves. Is that is that what happened? That is exactly what happened. First, he was getting the kids, these young rider fans, to do the W, like yeah. Willie, of course, did. Great gift, by the way, available. That's from Winnipeg Sports Talk. And then with the camera there, got the kid to take the jersey off. Was he essentially renouncing Rider Nation? Can you imagine his yeah. parents seeing that kid? What sort of a young man have we raised? Taking off his rider jersey because Willie Jefferson told him to. Yeah. That was I mean, that was almost the icing on the cake. Like part of me almost felt a little bad. Like, oh geez, that's a tough look in Mosaic Stadium. Bombers go in, roll over the riders, and then young rider fans are taking their jerseys off and taking gloves and joining the blue crew of <laughs> Regina. Imagine going to school this week, uh, being the kid who took off your rider jersey, I guess it's pretty it's probably pretty sweet to get Willie Jefferson's gloves. But uh, I mean, it was a pretty funny moment. Also, uh, Andrew Harris went to give Sarah Orleski the high five <laughs> on the sideline, and she was not having any of that. She would was not... that Sarah? I think it was Sarah. Far end. I thought it, we could only see her back, so I thought it was Sarah on the sideline. And then Farhan <laughs> tweeted. Did Sarah just leave uh, Andrew Harris hanging? And I, <laughs> I'm pretty like I think that it, that it was it was that was pretty funny. And then you know the moment of the game we haven't even talked talked about as well, Hus. At the end of the first half, the roughing the kicker penalty, <laughs> where every single person on Twitter and like in the press box, any person anywhere is like, "What the hell is this? What is this call?" I'm shocked that that got overturned. You know, usually calls like that just stay like, ah, too bad. But that was one call that everyone was just like, what the what the H was that? Now, and of course, that came right after the Bombers challenge, they roughing the passer when the guy obviously yeah. made contract with Zach, uh, contact with Zach Calaris's face mask um, and pulled it a little bit. I mean, it was not the most egregious penalty. And they I think they did the right thing and not tacking the 15 yards on. Uh, but then for that to happen right afterwards in the fashion that it did was crazy. And yes, everyone except one person thought that was a great call and uh, a good overturn. And that, of course, is our pal Gregory Liverpool. And Gregory <laughs> Gre Gregory did have, did have somebody that tweeted out that technically by the rule, the kicker cannot be hit behind the line of scrimmage. 
So while, yes, he was running forward, he was still behind the line of scrimmage. Um, I don't know. At some point, there's some nuances in the rules. I don't think anyone in their right mind thought that should have been a 15-yard penalty. And, and that could have been a absolutely huge turnaround when it comes to the game, considering you know the time, where it was, and what that meant at the end of the second half. Yeah, there were some weird calls throughout the Canadian Football League. I mean, the Calgary touchdown that came off the board on that phantom offside was probably pretty tough to take. Uh, But again, the story was not about the officiating Sunday afternoon in Regina. It was about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers putting a beating on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And, And I'm sort of with Jeff. I really do expect the Riders to be much better. And I think this will be a close, tight game coming up on, on the weekend. Uh, which is part of the reason why I was so stunned that the line came out, um, you know, initially at two and a half for the Bombers. And that I was expecting it, we would see probably in the five to six range, basically the same line we saw for Saskatchewan being favored at home, flipping the page over to Winnipeg. Not that the line means much when we've seen these Banjo Bowl uh, rematches in the past, uh, because we do know you can pretty much throw the records out for both of these games. Uh, you know, we've seen teams that are one and seven beat seven and one teams, uh, that year, they won them both, of course, 2011. So it's going to be a game. And there's going to be, uh, I don't think we, anyone should be taking anything for granted. And you know the Bombers are going to be practicing this week knowing that they are going to be getting a pissed-off rider team that wants to acquit themselves much better on Saturday than they did at their home stadium last weekend. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I know when the line came out last week, we were kind of uh, confused. We thought the Bombers um, you know, were a better team than the Riders. and. You know, good bet, good enough to uh, not only cover the line, but win outright. So if anyone did uh, bet on that, and I think we were also on the Montreal line very early last week. It didn't work out for us two weeks ago against Calgary uh, when Bo Levi uh, didn't play. But last week worked out well. And I know Mo Khan was on here saying Vernon Adams Jr. has become a game manager, not a game breaker. But it didn't stop me from... Riding him to first place in our draft yes. school. So yeah, I guess some congratulations. Yeah. Give myself uh, a pat on the back. Out the Barry Horowitz for Michael Remus because yes. uh, you dominated. I mean, you had Vernon Adams mm-hmm. and who were the uh, who were the two Montreal receivers I, that you had that were I off? had uh Jake Winicky, who's had a breakout season for them, uh catch and touchdowns, and Eugene Lewis, who's like one of the more underrated uh receivers. He's very consistent. So, you know, lucky have those guys who caught touchdown passes from Vernon Adams Jr. So those guys propelled me uh, to the win in our DraftKings League. And the invites are out uh, for this week's CFL, and we'll have NFL. I'll probably do it tomorrow, NFL. Yeah, let's get, that, let's get that CFL contest filled up, and then our first NFL contest of the season will go. Uh, we'll probably throw it out tomorrow. Uh, mm-hmm. Make sure you get those spots. Just get, a, get your spot reserved, because especially for the NFL – um, you know, once it fills, it fills and uh, we won't be doing a second one. We'll probably go to 50 for the NFL mm-hmm. for the first week of the season. I know everybody is all fired up for that. Well, listen, while we mention that, let's get to the lines for Coolbet. And don't forget, Coolbet Chris coming into town on Friday for our live lock shop, 7 p.m. Boston Pizza City Place on Friday night. Hope you'll come and hang out with us. We do have Coolbet CFL lines. Hamilton. Three and a half point favorites on the road at the Toronto Argonauts, a total of 44 and a half. The Riders, three point underdogs at Winnipeg. I'll tell you right now, I think this number is going to go up. This this number is going to be four or four and a half by game time, I would say. 
And we saw that exact same thing happen last week with Saskatchewan. I mean, that game opened at two and a half or three. Um, it got up to, what was it, six, Reem, on Thursday? And we said, now's the time to get it. It's definitely not getting any higher than this. Um, and, of course, the the money line was what sort of fluctuated. I got the money line for the Bombers at plus 180. And that was, I think, about as good of a line as it was. The six points was the time to get it. Ended up closing at five. But, again, if you're on the bomber side, it didn't matter if it was five or six or four or money line. You were cashing your ticket. So, Bombers right now, three-point favorites at home. The total, an incredibly low total of 40.5 points. Have to think we'll see some more scoring than we did last week in that 31-point total. Calgary at Edmonton. Edmonton, one-and-a-half-point favorites. I'm surprised that this isn't closer to three, Reem. I mean, when you think about the number that the the Elks, excuse me, did on Calgary yesterday in their Labor Day Classic, uh, the rematch, some legitimate practice, having just seen this team, uh, I thought that there might be a little bit more of a reaction to what it is. But I guess the big question is, could Bo Levi Mitchell make a return after their loss yesterday? This is a very big game. They've got one win on the season. You lose back-to-back against Edmonton and, um, you know, just trying to figure out how they would make the playoffs with Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, and Edmonton all ahead of them, not to mention BC in that mix. Uh, it's sort of getting cloudy if they do lose this game. Yeah, that was a big win for Edmonton yesterday. Trevor Harris kind of looked like what we've expected for him. I think he threw for close to 400 yards, um, you know, worked into a number of receivers. Calgary's past defense has had some question marks. Uh, Jake Mayer. I mean, he was very solid in his first couple games, but he's he's still a rookie. Uh, so, though, he, I mean, he looks good uh, with some of those receivers, Marquis Thambles, Kamar, Jordan, Joshoff. I like I like those guys, but uh, the Elks, I thought it was great showing for them after the week off. And, yeah, Trevor Harris, I mean, four touchdowns and almost four, 398 yards. So, uh, watch over Andrew. They couldn't score. You know, they got a lot of yards the first couple weeks, but they couldn't score, and they finally find their way into the end zone multiple times. Yesterday and yeah, one and a half favorite. I would probably lean Edmonton as Calgary. I mean, they're at home and Calgary doesn't have doesn't have a. Sorry, they have one win. My bad. Yeah. Well, the, keep an uh, eye on the quarterback though. But I mean, if you want to get early on it, because it might go up go with one and a half. Yeah, Calgary even money on the money line. Edmonton minus one twenty two, and then we've got Ottawa getting seven points, traveling all the way to the West Coast to take the BC take on the BC Lions. And um, it, it is looking like all the projections of it being a very long season for Lapo, Matt Nichols, and the Ottawa Red Blacks are coming to fruition. But what's interesting is that Dominic Davis is now taking the first team reps for Ottawa. And, you know, I kind of mentioned last week, I don't know if he's the answer, but it was pretty clear so far this season, at least, that Matt Nichols hasn't been the answer. And, the bottom line is they just can't score any points right now. A big opportunity for BC to get going after uh, a week off. Yeah, it was their first uh, their first receiving touchdown of the season was <laughs> um came in week 5. So not a good look for Ottawa. They went with Dom Davis as in garbage time. He was great threw for 291 yards, two touchdowns, but uh it was the Dom Davis you remember with the two picks as well and yeah i agree and i mean he even chipped in rushing so in garbage i mean decent fantasy line to be honest for dom davis but you know that we know what he is he used to be the bombers backup he's not a i mean he's not a guy who's gonna lead you uh very far so 
Uh, we'll see how it goes. But I mean, Matt Nichols clearly wasn't getting it done. It was time for a change. And, you know, you wish him, wish him the best. But there they are, seven-point underdogs after getting absolutely roasted by Vernon Adams Jr., who Mo Khan was on here last week saying he was not a game-breaker, break, game breaker, but a game-manager. Definitely looked like a game-breaker against Ottawa. <laughs> um, updated great cup odds. Bombers are the favorites, plus 350. Riders, plus 375. Ticats after their uh, wins back up to plus 425. And then it's really, there's three teams and then everybody else. Montreal and Toronto at 8 to 1, 8 plus 850 for BC, 10 to 1 Edmonton, 13 to 1 Calgary, and 25 to 1 for Ottawa. That may as well be 250 to 1 because uh, I don't think the Red Blacks are even going to be a playoff team. Kind of hard to imagine. Uh, as we mentioned, Leila Annie Fernandez is on the court right now taking on Eva Svitolina. Uh, she's actually got a break point right now in the first uh, in the first set, up three to two. Um, Felix Auger Aliassime is on court a little later on today, looking to make it to the semifinals. He is minus one eighty five favorite over the eighteen year old Spaniard Alcaraz Garcia. Uh, a little later on, uh, uh, Alex Sashizverev and Novak Djokovic heavy favorites to make it to the uh, to make it to the semifinals. And, uh, oh, wow, Layla just did it. She's broken Eva Svitolina. She's up a break right now, serving at 4-2 in the first set. Um, I, I'll mention, you know, I'm not bothered going down this. Canada does have a big game, though, for the men's national team coming up on Wednesday against El Salvador. We'll kind of dive into some of the betting stuff tomorrow on the lock shop. By the way, we moved the lock shop to tomorrow morning because we didn't have the CFL lines yet. Tomorrow before Winnipeg Sports Talk, around quarter to 12 Winnipeg time, Dustin Nielsen and I will fire it up. We'll get all over the CFL matchups for this weekend, as well as that Canada-El Salvador game for World Cup qualifying a little bit later on. Uh, But big win, or big win, should I say, big draw for Canada on the weekend, Reem. I know everyone was really focused in on the Bombers and the Riders Canada goes into Nashville. Kyle Laren with the equalizer in Canada gets a huge point on the road in World Cup qualifying. They now have two draws so far. Really need a win on Wednesday to get to five points through the first three. But we're seeing now playing like that against a team like the United States who has dominated CONCACAF over the course of the past 20 years or so along with Mexico. Uh, exciting times for Canadian soccer. And I know a lot of people maybe missed it because they were watching the football game. I recorded it, watched it afterwards. I mean, there's some good things happening with our Canadian men's soccer team following in the footsteps, hopefully, of our Olympic champion women. Yeah, it's pretty awesome to watch. I took in uh, the game game against Honduras. And I mean, you see right away the talent from a guy like uh, Alfonso Davies and what what a superstar can do for Canadian soccer. Uh, Matthew Shinetti of TSN did tweet today. He's not on the field for training at BMO this afternoon. I don't know what that means. Could be a routine thing, but figured that was uh, that was our update. So uh, Canada, I mean, the soccer, it's, it's exciting. It's on actually on TV now, Hustler. It's not on yeah. uh, the streaming channel. No one gets. So uh, th- I think that's a, a plus as well. Yeah, the Sunday game was on TSN, but I believe all oh, the yeah. other games are on Sportsnet. Um, but Wednesday night uh, from BMO Field, Canada, El Salvador, have to win that game. It was disappointing not to get the win against Honduras. Great result to get the draw against the United States. Have to get three points on Wednesday to keep this World Cup dream alive. Oh, and I see uh, I see Taylor 
uh, said they had no business winning that game. A draw is a fantastic outcome. BA split. They play El Salvador. Oh, and Hustler's Diet Pepsi's here. Nice drink, Hustler. I, I, I got a big one for you today, HDP. It was, uh, it, we're, out, we're looking looking forward to crushing this one. I got a long day today. I got three more hours on Sportsnet. And then, by the way, tonight, around 8 o'clock our time on all the Cool Bets social channels, I'll be getting together with Chris Abbott and Jake Bowen Moss, very sharp dude, and Pat Gregoire. Final call for NFL Bets. We'll be doing that tonight at 8 p.m. on all of the Cool Bet social channels. All right, Reem, let's get to the story of the weekend from the NHL. And that, of course, is Jesperi Kakeniemi saying au revoir to Montreal. Or maybe the Canadians saying au revoir to Kakeniemi, not matching the offer sheet. First successful offer sheet in the National Hockey League since Dustin Penner in 2007. But we now know why it took the Canadians so long to make their decision. They were working behind the scenes, and while they did lose Kokkiniemi, they pretty much turned around with the draft capital they got from the offer sheet and gave it to the Coyotes, who uh, are doing an everything-must-go sale right now. So Christian Dvorak is now a member of the Montreal Canadiens for a first-rounder and a second-rounder in 2024, and Kokkiniemi is going to be making $6.1 million on a one-year deal in Carolina. I can't say I'm surprised that it turned out like this. I just, you know, with everything that we discussed last week on the program, it was going to be really difficult for Montreal to match that offer. Um, and to be honest, I think they get a little bit more cap certainty with Dvorak, who's, I think, about $4.5 million for four or five more years. But again, they did really like Kokkiniemi. They picked him third overall. Uh, a cautionary tale as to what could happen if you try to do an offer sheet to somebody else in the National Hockey League. Yeah, we were all waiting until Saturday at like 6 p.m., um, you know, or it was 6.30 Eastern. My whole timeline all day is like, okay, we're we're waiting. Let's go, Montreal. And I saw Mark Bergevin say after that he was planning on taking a vacation last week, but obviously <laughs> had to. Had to cancel that once they had the offer sheet. Even that made sure. Tom Dundon and Waddell even happier when he yeah. said that. And I, I mean, this worked out for Carolina. You know, first and a third for a guy like that. We'll see if they can sign him long term, as uh, was been reported. Uh, for Montreal, I think they did okay. Um, you know, you lose the guy, you get two draft picks, and then you flip the first and uh, what? Sorry, the the higher of the. But there's so many conditions on that. The yeah. higher of higher the higher of their two picks, like whichever pick is higher in the draft yeah presumably a better pick between the Habs and Carolina's pick yeah that's the one that goes to the Coyotes and then a 2024 second rounder so I mean I think it worked out for them if you paid him 6.1 I think it just screws it screwed their whole internal salary cap structure you know Suzuki coming up next year and you know that I see a lot of takes you know the, they rushed him to the NHL they kind of stunted his development you know maybe it's something that they learn from here but uh i don't think it's a total l for montreal they do lose the guy but they were able to you know sell i think they salvaged it pretty well and flip the picks and big win for carolina but i mean a bigger win for the marketing department of carolina who had a lot of fun (laughs) putting in their like profile like offer sheet champions and whatever (laughs) else they were doing i know i'm sure like dundon and tom waddell were high-fiving but it's pretty pretty funny what happened? We can go through their timeline here, Hust. Uh, 20, <laughs> that 2018 draft, and there's what, Aho and uh, Akaniemi? Is that, is that what that is? 
Uh, I'm not I mean, sure. Who, I'm not sure who. Uh, is, or is that Svechnikov? Sorry. I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. I, Svech. Sorry, my bad, my bad. And then, um, yeah, they were just having uh, a blast here, mocking Montreal. So, yeah, just taking all of those, all of those comments from Bergevin about Aho two years ago. Yeah, and putting them in all sorts of tweets about Kakaniemi. He wants to come. He sees the core here. He wants to yeah. be a part of that. <laughs> blah blah blah. Um, all that. It's uh, it, it's pretty it's pretty expert trolling. What can I say? Um, what's interesting about this though, and we'll see this this season, if in early January when they are able to extend Kakaniemi, whether they have you know a deal on paper right now that you know will go in on a longer term deal at a more reasonable, probably a more reasonable number in and around the Christian Dvorak number, I would assume, if you include the 6.1 for this season. So, um, you know, how this all plays out, because here's the thing, Kakaniemi, if he doesn't sign anything, still has to be qualified at 6.1 million. And, you know, despite all the fun and the talk back and forth, it's very Kakaniemi at this point, at least we'll see what happens this season, is not anywhere close to a $6 million player in current NHL economics. So they are somewhat betting on the future, but I'll be most interested to see whether they have a deal, kind of like Kevin LeBlanc when he signed the $1 million deal, knowing that there was a bigger deal that was essentially already agreed to down the pipe. Yeah, oh, the Kevin, yes, Kevin LeBlanc contract. Great question Scam. Great question from waiters in chat. Who gets booed more in Montreal, Shafley or Kakaniemi? Huh. <laughs> actually- probably Shafe, probably I- Shafe, but... I was- I was going to say Kakaniemi is not going to be a not going to be a fan favorite. I, I don't think you'll see a lot of 15s in the crowd that night when the Canes return to Montreal for the first time. I was going to say Kakaniemi because that's more recent and Shifley seemed like it happened so long ago. Maybe people forgot, but once that game, you know, once the hype comes for that game, maybe they'll remember the the hit. But how about Kakaniemi? Although maybe people will be booing uh, Bergevin for his handling of a Kakaniemi RFA, you know period, <laughs> rather than booing a guy for securing the bag. That's what they like to call it. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what the kids call it. That's now, what the kids the call bag. it. Yeah, yeah. Securing uh, the bag. Layla Fernandez is trying to secure the bag on the first set right now. She's serving at 5-3. Uh, we'll keep an eye on through that. All right, the other huge story from the weekend, and this goes back to Friday night. The Blue Jays are back. The Bats are back. The incredible comebacks are back. And I got to tell you, dude, that game on Friday night, if you missed it, the Jays were down 8-2 in the eighth inning. Uh, I believe was it Lourdes Gurriel Jr. hit a grand slam. They ended up tying it up at eight. Then in typical Jays fashion, bring the pen in and give up two in the top of the ninth to go down eight to a 10-8 couple guys on board and then once again the hero Marcus Simeon drilling a three-run homer into the stands for an 11-10 Blue Jays win and that got things going a three-game sweep of the Oakland Athletics who they were chasing in the wild card race a couple big wins over the Yankees and they've now won what five in a row Reem, and are just three games out of the second wild card you know, with the number to play, and we said, like, it, this is possible, but they needed to go on a legitimate run, and to do it against teams that they're chasing in the fashion that they did, uh, the entire atmosphere and conversation around the Blue Jays is a hell of a lot different than it was on Thursday. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. And uh, Robbie Ray was just named one of the players uh, of the week as well. And I mean, all the talk on my Twitter is, uh, you know, the Blue Jays better get in the playoffs this year because they may not have Marcus Simeon or Robbie Ray next year. Those guys are coming to get a big payday. And yes, Robbie Ray player of the week, uh, Keegan Matheson just tweeted, 13 innings, two word runs, 20, 20, an obscene 20 strikeouts. And what do you have? Four walks, five hits again. So uh, what a, what a stat line there for Robbie Ray. And they're going to need more of that. They are playing the Yankees tonight. Uh, It's going to be a tough, tough battle. Steven Matz against uh, their ace, Garrett Cole. But uh, I think if you were down on the Blue Jays and we spoke spoke with Andrew Stone before he said, Hey, they're not, they're not quite out. They might be down, but they got a little less than a month left. But you have these games against the Yankees that are, it's helping that the Red Sox has like their whole lineup. Uh, has COVID, and they're basically uh, rostering a, I don't say AAA team, but not their full roster. So um, uh, Blue Jays are playing well at the right time. They're going to have to keep it up for the rest of the month, but three games, not it's not out of the question. Well, and as uh, Theo mentions, I mean, they got these next two games against the uh, Yankees, and then guess who? The Baltimore Orioles. So um, they're on a run right now, but they need to stay on this run to get right into the mix. And if that's the case, we've been talking about, can the Blue Jays have meaningful playoff style games in September? The answer to that will be yes. yes. And if they can turn that into a playoff spot, the bottom line is the way the starting rotation is right now with Barrios and with Ray, and I'm still a big Ryu guy. Um, my God, if they get the bats going green and they get a little bit of momentum, especially a team like that, that seems to have so much fun. I, I sure as hell wouldn't want to play them in a short series. No, no. And, uh, you know, we joked about, uh, not joke. We talked so much how their pitching wasn't there to start the year. Um, you know, they had Ryu, but you weren't sure Robbie Ray emerged as uh, you know, Cy, Cy Young favorite right now. And, you know, Jose Barrios, you know, he's good. Ryu, that's a really good one, two, three. If they can get the bullpen around, I know Julian Merriweather. I saw that he has been throwing now in like AAA, and he was you know, lighting up the gun he, to start the year before he got hurt. Oh, so, Merriweather, I, yeah. I wasn't familiar with Merriweather and was catching some of his games at the beginning of the oh. of the year. And I'm like, maybe this could be their fireballer that they've been looking for, and then of course got hurt. But he's now in uh, in a spot where if he can come back and add to uh, add to the Blue Jays bullpen situation. I mean, you're getting healthy at the most important time of the year. But the bottom line is they're not leaning on the bullpen as much as they have Mm -hmm. been in the past because of the quality starts they're getting from the guides led by Ray. Um, And, of course, Berrios was phenomenal on the weekend. Yeah, I I agree. And one other, we went from the Jays. We did just have a breaking uh, hockey signing. Uh, The Sens have inked Pierre Dorian to a new contract test. Okay. Uh, let me just see. I don't know. If, like, do they release like GM salaries? I don't know if that is. Yeah. Is there a cap friendly <laughs> for GMs? <laughs> it just says they've extended him through 24, 20, uh, 25. So that's coming out 20 minutes ago uh, during our, our conversation. You know what? Here. That's good for Dorian. I'm a fan of Dorian, actually. Mm-hmm. And I think they've done, you know, he's made some very tough decisions and he's been dealt some pretty difficult cards to, to handle over the course of the last few years with the way things bottomed out with that club. Uh, you know, of course, the Eric Carlson trade ended up turning out pretty good for Ottawa. It's been an absolute disaster for San Jose. Um, and now they're getting a, the job done, locking up some of their young core pieces. Yep. They did it first with Shabbat. They got Batherson done last year. It is, though, concerning from a, a sense of perspective, though, how important Brady Kachuk is to that team, 
how much they want him to be inked long-term, put the C on his chest and go ahead for the next nine years. And, you know, from all accounts coming out of Ottawa, not a lot of progress right now. And Brady Kachuk's not heading to Ottawa until he's got a deal. Yeah, so they signed Pierre Dorian. I, again, I like what Ottawa is doing. They seem to be primed for to be very strong in the future. Tim Stutzla with the rookie uh, season as well. And so we'll wait and see. Kachuk, I, this could go down us to the wire, could go down to training camp, or sorry, the start of the season. Will he miss training camp? Uh, I guess we're kind of watching some of these RFAs, you know, Quinn Hughes and Elias Pedersen in Vancouver. But Dorian, they like what he's done, seem to be rebuilding them, and uh, they got him now until 24, 25. The club has an option for the year after, too. So, um, you know, he's been GM, been GM for a while now. Uh, yeah. Named name GM in 2016. I know they went to, um, they went to that, what, conference final that was unexpected. They were a goal away from being in the cup final. I mean, it was game seven, tie game against Pittsburgh before they ended up losing. And then within about nine months, it seemed like that entire team had been blown up. Yeah, I know. And the Eric Carlson uh, trade. And I mean, if they would have signed Eric Carlson to the contract that San Jose did, uh, would not be looking as good, you know, as bright for Ottawa. That's a lot of money locked up in a guy that hasn't performed to that level. So we'll see. I I mean, I I don't think Dorian's done anything. um, anything, I'm doing. Like to not earn the opportunity to move this forward, they seem to be in a really good position. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, listen, it, yeah. they realized where they were at. Um, they knew that there was going to be a couple tough years. They made a lot of trades. They've drafted a lot of players. I mean, in a lot of ways, they're trying to follow what Winnipeg did. Just Winnipeg was never at that point where they bottomed out the way that mm-hmm. uh, that the Ottawa Senators did. Yes, and by the way, B.A., for sure, Alec Manoa, I I mean, he has been a revelation this year and a huge, huge part of what's turned around for the Blue Jays. Little U.S. update, uh, open update for you. Canadian Layla Annie Fernandez has won the first set. Her last two matches, she lost the first set and was down a break in the second set before battling back, winning the second, and winning in the third. Be interesting to see how she handles playing with the lead against one of the top players on earth in Eva Svitolina. Don't forget, a little later on, Felix Auger-Aliassime will be playing for Canada, trying to get to the semifinals. He's a significant favorite. Layla was the biggest underdog of any of the matches on the women's side, but not as big of an underdog as she was the last couple matches. I think people are very much paying attention. Celebrated her 19th birthday yesterday, uh, practicing. They brought her a bunch of cupcakes and an autographed copy of Billie Jean King's book. Uh, So she really has turned into a rock star at the U.S. Open. And I'll tell you what, she's got a ton of support right now playing, uh, I believe, on Arthur Ashe Stadium, looking for a spot in her first ever semifinal in a Grand Slam. All right, Reem, let's get to some picks before we are finished up. We might be able to go a little harder uh, with the missing yesterday's Monday night start. We've got two games left. Uh, where are you at for the uh, for your selections for tonight's yeah, I got, Cineboy Downs action? I have my picks in. Um, I just did the normal uh, $20, so I can switch that if you want, but this is what I'm going to rock. Um, I'll pull it up and here we go. HPI bet. Uh, go to my Cineboy Downs. I got a favorite at us. You can pull it up real quick. So race two. This is, I had this $3 left over race two. I'm just going for, oh no, sorry. Sorry. This is my one. This is my guy. Race two. 
Horse three, Gooch Express, $5 to win. That is my guy, Gooch Express. He's one of the program selections. Also, maybe the best name in the business. Uh, race four, I had three bucks left over. I'm going for a long shot here. Um, number five, Quest for Fire. So I'm just taking a stab. That's not expecting to win, but I had some leftover money. I'm doing, I'm going with you, Hus. The Triactor boxes, I got two of them. Race six, I'm going. One three six, call the cops, guaranteed delivery and impressive sense. So you get that long shot in there, hope for a big, big payday. And then race seven, I'm on two six eight. Benroy, not afraid, and uh, Bear Brian. So those are those are my selections. I got twenty bucks on four. Nicely done. All right. Uh, let's get to race number one for my selection. I am going to go with horse number one, Wits Coco. Wits Coco is coming off back-to-back wins. Uh, nine to five opening. Not sure what that will be, but I'll probably make a bit of a larger bet than the usual two or five. Maybe put 10 on Wits Coco to try to get, try to get some positive momentum. Uh, race number two, I'm going to go with Bucky's pick. Shout out to Connor Hellebuck. You put Buck in a name. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm giving it some love. Um, so we'll go with number five to win. Then over to race three. Uh, we're going to do a Quinella between number three, Midnight Salute, and number five, Wits Taquito. And then let's move over to race number six. Uh, you know what? I'll go with one of those as well. Uh, call the cops. Guaranteed delivery. And impressive sense yeah we'll put those ones together that's what i got you go okay well we're on the same page let's go one three six i'll ride with you on that i figure we'd uh, we'd have a good one that could be nice and then the final race race number seven we've got a couple bigger favorites at the end well there's nine races in this one muskoka is back muskoka has actually been quite good not afraid looking good i'm gonna go with six to win and then I'm going to go six with Muskoka, which is nine. And how about, what do we have here? Right of Vengeance? Benroy, 15 to one. That'll mm-hmm. be a nice one. if it So six, nine, two in race number seven. Again, uh, still a few days left of live racing. Get out to the track if you can. And otherwise, you can see it on the screen if you're watching on YouTube, hpibet.com. You can make your wagers there. Now watch all the action on the YouTube channel at Boya Downs. Remus, what's going on tonight? Uh, just more prep for uh, your DraftKings lineups for the CFL and NFL week? Um, yeah, sure. I don't know. Is there US Open on Felix? Uh, Felix playing? Felix, Felix is on tonight, hopefully in mm-hmm. and around 7 o'clock. It, it's always neat. You know, you'll look at these start times for the games but you don't really know when they're happening because it all depends on how long the last matches were. And that's why we've had sometimes matches starting at like, you know, 1030 our time, 1130 in New York and finishing in and around 2 a.m. But I'll tell you what, that you got a bit more of a lubricated crowd under the lights. Um, that's what makes the U.S. Open what it is and why it is for me from a viewing standpoint, probably from a spectator standpoint as well, the best Grand Slam of them all. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I couldn't believe they were playing last night and it ended at like 2.15 a.m. local time. That seems 
absurd to me, but that's, I mean, that's how it, how it goes. Uh, Taylor, yes, yeah. there is a new DraftKings. Well, the new CFL contest is out. Get in there, reserve your spot, and then tomorrow we'll do our first yeah. NFL week one. And to me, NFL is the best, much like for things with betting. Football sort of was the, the start. Well, I guess baseball was the start of fantasy and roto, mm-hmm. but when it comes to any fantasy sport, the nature of you know one game a week, having it on the weekend, all of them at the same time. Uh, it's a hell of a lot of fun, and uh, I imagine that one will fill quickly, so make sure to pay attention, put your notifications on if you can. I'm not sure whether that's any better than it was last year because I know that drove both of us crazy, Remus. Yeah, and shout out to Taylor, who finished fifth in yesterday's and uh, the Week 5 Ooh, contest. I know she's placed done, before. Yeah, so Taylor, I mean, she's trying to parlay uh, those winnings into more winnings, so uh, well done. A couple notes from the weekend, Huss. I wanted to get your thoughts on... Okay, hold uh, on a sec. Hold yeah. on a second. Ryan Friesen. Ryan, we love having you here, but you I'm not sure whether you purposely try to have the worst takes or just consistently drop the worst takes ever. The Brady over Mahomes take, we'll, I'll leave that. But the Jays takes earlier, I have a feeling I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. You're just coming here to stir it up and are that guy on the internet that is just trying to get a rise out of everyone else. Uh, having Bonner in the chat for the last week, I'm going to say uh, there is some enjoyment. So there you are, Hus, <laughs> falling in for the trap I did. of someone I did. posting uh, <laughs> bad takes and then... Getting my, I mean, just right. I mean, just have people in here, right? Um, Casey sucks. Mahomes yeah. is a bad quarterback. Mahomes choked in the Super Bowl. I'll and then you, all I, of a sudden, I'm your here. blood pressure goes up. <laughs> I is. I laugh about it. I have a lot more time for Ryan's Brady and Mahomes takes and even stuff on the, on the, from the Jays than on some of the, uh, COVID takes we had earlier on. Shout out to Remus for uh, getting back into the ring. Couple of eliminations oh. over the top rope. We appreciated that. Uh, we appreciate that as well. Um, all right. Well, I'll tell you what. This has been a great show. Uh, as I mentioned, if you're uh, not sick of me yet, uh, in an hour or so, I'll be jumping on for three hours with the guys in Calgary on Sports at 960. Tonight, 8 p.m., on all the Cool Bet social channels. We're getting together with Chris and Pat Greggy and Jake Bowen Moss for a full NFL preview show. That's going to be a lot of fun. Feel free to join us. We'd love to see you there. And then tomorrow we'll be back at it. We will be doing a special lock shop tomorrow morning. We're back to two days a week. We'll always be doing Friday shows, getting ready for NFL. But we're usually going to be doing a Tuesday show with the Monday game. We didn't have the lines in time. So tomorrow about 1145 on Twitter, I'll tweet it out. You can see it on Dustin Nielsen. But if you're listening to the podcast, make sure you pop in Apple, Spotify, put in the lock shop. You can subscribe to that. It's going to be a lot of fun. And don't forget, if you're able to join us, would love to see you pop down and say hi. Boston Pizza City Place, 7 o'clock on Friday. Dusty, myself, Chris, will be banging out a live taping of the lock shop, talking NFL week one and getting into some pre-banjo bowl uh, hijinks downtown. Would absolutely love to see you there. And again, do not forget, a little later on today, we will have the posts up so you can enter for the Canadian Club Special Edition CC Chronicles 42-year-old whiskey. We're going to the top shelf, folks, for this week's contest. Big shout-out to James and the gang at Canadian Club. And I imagine there'll be quite a few CCs being poured Saturday afternoon in the rematch between the Winnipeg Blue Bombers 
and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Fingers crossed we'll be talking about at least one, if not two Canadians in the U.S. Open semis tomorrow. We may have to place a call to John Horn, uh, one of our uh, great tennis go-to guys, uh, depending on what happens today. Uh, but definitely, if you're with us live, flick it on to TSN 3. You can see the rest of this match. We'll talk about it tomorrow one way or the other. We'll certainly discuss the latest with Felix Ojeleyasim. He's a favorite tonight. Has a good chance of getting to the semifinals. More on the Banjo Bowl. More on the upcoming NFL season. The latest from the NHL offseason. And everything else to do with Winnipeg sports here. And by the way, Reem, just before we go, I want to give a big shout out and congratulations to the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. They lost yesterday, did not make the playoffs, finished off their season. But what a crazy season it has been, Uh, you know, starting off in Jackson, Tennessee, coming back to Winnipeg at one point. But it was Kyle Wilson. I mean, an all-time RBI record for the American Association. I think a lot of people think that he might be able to jump on with a, with a major league organization after the year that he had for the Gold Eyes, and that's what it's all about. And then on top of all of this, the Gold Eyes today, check out all their social streams or the YouTube, a one-minute video announcing a real significant rebranding for the Winnipeg Gold Eyes for the first time in a long time. If you're with us on the screen, you can see the look. Um, you know, a new style of jersey, a new style of logo, which is a pretty significant departure from the old angry fish or the fish beforehand. But I got to tell you, it's obvious that a lot of work went into it's a very sort of classic logo with a very interesting combining the fish and the G. Um, and honestly, I just want a regular season. They could be wearing anything and uh, we'd be there next year as we hopefully get more and more back to normal and get a full season of fish baseball down at Shaw Park. Yes, we'd love a full season of, you know, regular fish ball at uh, at the ballpark. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to make it down this year, but I'd love to take uh, my son and family down next year uh, for a game. Great way to spend uh, an afternoon or an evening. And, you know, here we are scrolling uh, through the logos. Uh, I will definitely miss. I, I'm a big fan of the OG fish, but this is a nice, um, a nice modern uh, rebrand. Um, that's for sure. I'm, I, I like, I like the way that it looks uh, on a hat here. I think this is pretty cool. Oh yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to some new merch uh, coming out from it. These bags, I think, are are pretty awesome. So, um, yeah. So this is this is the gold. Well, and, I, and I imagine we'll probably have new jerseys and stuff. I do want to get my hands on one of those road gray Winnipeg jerseys. Uh, mm. If they're changing, those ones are absolute yeah. classics. This, this um, so you know what this means has that they have a rebrand. It means the old gear is going to go on clearance. So I got my eyes on the, on the gold eye <laughs> store for some deals, some Emery with approved deals. We'll let you know. We'll uh, let Andrew know. If, I mean, if they're doing any sort of a clear out, we'll certainly I got, get him on, but uh, we'll talk about this at some point with them and really wrap the entire crazy season. The second of two in a row, fingers crossed that the team will be able to get back to the ballpark next year under normal circumstances with normal crowds and a normally great season of summer baseball downtown. Yeah. you Well, well said. And there's a uh, Jeff Cabillas. He's like, Ooh, that led. I really like this one, this uh, red one that's on the screen with the, uh, the icon. Well, I Pretty think it's sharp. Cool. Yeah. I think it's sharp. So I'll have to look when they get the merch out and uh, take a look at their inventory. You got it. All right, folks. Uh, we'll see what uh, Layla and ooh, she is down love 40 right now. Looks like Svitolina. This is going to be a war. Uh, we'll watch the rest of this tennis this afternoon. See you tomorrow, one o'clock, right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Thanks again to Manitoba Battery, Little Brown Jug, 
Royal Sports Canadian Club. Don't forget to check our social feeds to uh, enter in the amazing uh, prize, the Canadian Club Chronicles. We're going to do that on Friday with the Marble Race at the end of the show. Not Auto Corp, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Boston Pizza. Check out their Burger Week selections, Assiniboia Downs, and CoolBet.com. And once again, thanks to Breezy for being with Breezy Ben for being with us all season long. And congratulations to Pat Cantley for winning that Tour Championship and $15 million on the weekend. All right, gang, enjoy the tennis. We'll talk to you tomorrow here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Thanks for being with us. Oh, my God. Shut it down! Let's go home! Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.